This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Friday, April 16th, 2021. I'm Caleb Brown. The gender pay gap, for better or worse, is largely ephemeral. And the unintended consequences of ameliorating that problem somehow comes as a shock to people pushing those plans. Now Republicans seem increasingly willing to push mandates for paid family leave with some problematic sources of funds. Rachel Gressler of the Heritage Foundation studies labor policies. We spoke about the push for one-size-fits-all labor markets and why that doesn't often work for women. In general, how do you evaluate uh, Democrats' concerns about the differences between men and women when it comes to compensation at work? And specifically, what do you think is the, the best argument that they have to present? Well, Democrats will present just this raw wage gap, looking at overall how much do men in the U.S. versus women in the U.S. make. And it looks like there's a pretty big gap and that there's no reason for that gap. You know, the Bureau of Labor Statistics data shows that women make 18 percent less than men. But that figure is really misleading because you're comparing apples to oranges. And when we know that when employers are making decisions about what they pay their workers, they're looking at things like what's that individual's experience? How much education do they have? How many hours are they working? What's the field that they're working in? And none of those factors are taken into account when you look at that raw wage gap. And so it may actually be that there's nothing that needs to be closed if the gap that's there is reflecting the choices that men and women make um, instead of, you know, the allegations that there could be discrimination at play. In terms of the best argument, maybe there isn't a good argument, but is there one that's better than the others in terms of uh, what Democrats are claiming? Well, yes, there's definitely a difference in the pay of men versus women across the U.S. And if we think that we need to be making policy decisions based on equality of outcomes instead of equality of opportunities, then that might be something that you need to make policies to try to adjust. As policymakers try to deal with what they perceive to be a, a pay gap between men and women, um, what are they proposing? What should they be proposing? Well, there's various things that they've been proposing. This week, um, the House will be voting on something called the Paycheck Fairness Act. And so that tries to impose new pay scales on employers by bringing about all sorts of liabilities. It says that unless you can prove that there's a business necessity and there's no other way that you could um, compensate this man, this man and this woman differently, then you must compensate them exactly equally. So if I went in as a woman and I have a male colleague who has 10 more years of experience than me, I could say, well, yes, he's paid more, but my employer could give me um, in-depth training and um, experience so that I could be paid the same as them. And so it really puts the liability on the employer to justify any differences and pay gaps that actually already have a, a justifiable cause there. Um, but there's also policies that have been enacted in other countries and even in some U.S. states that will try to be these pro-family policies. And I think that we all can support those things like paid family leave. Um, but often when it comes from the government in the form of a mandate and often kind of a rigid, um, restrictive, whether it's a pay scale or a rigid and restrictive government program, you end up having these unintended consequences. And there actually haven't been any improvements in the differences between men and women as a basis of those programs. Sometimes they've also had the opposite effect. So what have been some of the practical effects of programs that try to correct wage differentials between genders? 
Yeah, so let's start with paid family leave. Um, in the U.S., it's relatively limited, but we do have a couple states that have government programs. And in those like New Jersey and California, um, oddly, we've actually seen a reduction in the employment rates of young women. Um, and in California, you saw a reduction in their earnings six to 10 years after using this government-provided benefit. There was actually also a reduction in the fertility rates of those women. Um, when you get to the broader programs in Europe, where we're talking about a year or more of paid family leave, that's where you really have some negative consequences in terms of women's incomes and also their career opportunities, because that's a big gap to take that amount of time out of the labor force, potentially multiple times over your life. And we've seen that that leads to employers being less likely to promote women. And it also leads to more women staying out of the labor force long term. So, and I have to make this aside right now, you come by this honestly. Yes. How many kids do you have? I have six children. So I have benefited from taking six paid family leaves. Um, and I absolutely believe that this is something that we should be supporting. And I think that it's great when employers provide this benefit and we've seen a big increase in that. But we also have to face the reality of that and that there are costs and consequences. But those costs and consequences are a lot less severe when we're talking about voluntary employer provided programs and more flexible policies. You know, when I've taken time off for paid family leave, sometimes I've completely deplugged and I've just been at home with a child. Other times I've been hopping on the computer or phone calls. It's always been my option, but that's allowed me to kind of stay in the game and to continue um, upwards in my career tra trajectory. And that should be a choice that women have and not something that they're forced to do. But government programs don't allow that to be a choice. So, yeah, when, when you talk about a government program and what uh, is being uh, talked about and voted on on Capitol Hill, what would we likely see with uh, the implementation of paycheck fairness, as uh, Democrats call it, or other programs that, in a sense, sort of regiment uh, what employment looks like in a more specific way. Mm -hmm. So with the Paycheck Fairness Act, I think we're absolutely going to see an increase in lawsuits and employers are going to respond to that by saying, if we have to have one size fits all pay scales, then we also have to have one size fits all jobs. And when you look at men's and women's preferences, women are willing to trade seven times as much of their earnings for a flexible or a part-time job as men are. And the reality is that those are the types of things that you would lose if you have these rigid pay scales. You're going to have to be in the office at nine, out at five. You might not even have access to your computer outside of work. And so the reality is it's taking away the things that I think women tend to prefer. And we're already moving in a direction, I feel like, especially after COVID and employers having put in the technology so that they can have those more flexible jobs available. Um, and also just realizing that, hey, this is something that people can do. I mean, as a woman myself, I feel like this is great for us because it's an opportunity to prove that you can get things done, um, whether it's in the office or home or on a flexible schedule or not. And so I think that we end up having less of that and less of the types of jobs that women want. And if we also go towards something like the Family Act, a government, federal government paid family leave program, the reality there is that a lot of these programs end up being regressive. They don't actually benefit the lower income people who are trying to help. Um, and they end up crowding out the more flexible and often more generous programs that are already out there. So uh, Republicans are not innocent in all this. Uh, what are some of the uh, policies that you don't like that you're hearing from Republicans? 
The one I would say is using Social Security um, as a way to implement a paid family leave program. Social Security was supposed to be an old age anti-poverty program. Um, and we've seen it expand so much over time. It started out saying, we're going to take 2% of your paycheck. Well, today we know it takes 12.4%. It really needs to take over 15% if it's not going to become insolvent in a little over a decade. And I think that's what we're looking at with Social Security, using it for paid family leave. It's an incredibly popular program. And so you get the paid family leave by using that, but then it's only going to expand over time because these programs, they have to be rigid. They have to set rules. And yet you're going to find out that certain people aren't eligible to take the leave or it's not high enough benefits or it's not long enough. And you gradually just increase them over and over time. And that's what's happened in Europe. And we've already seen the CBO did an analysis of the Democrats Family Act, and they found that it would actually only allow workers to take 42 percent of the leaves that they want to take. And yet it would cost 240 percent of what they're going to start the tax at. So very quickly, we're going to have to massively increase that tax rate. And it's going to be a for program that's benefiting fewer than half of the people that need to use it. This pandemic has shown a lot of people who have the luxury of working from home. Uh, many people did not have that luxury, of course. But for, for many people, we've learned that work is something you do. It is not a place that you go. Uh, again, not, not universal. But um, to the extent that these ideas are put into law, it seems that work would very much become a place that you go and not necessarily not as much the thing that you do. Absolutely. Because if you're going to have rigid pay scales in place or if you're going to have a government paid family leave program, you need to have checks and balances of that. The employer needs to know when you're actually working. Um, if it's a government program, they need to know that you're not actually working because it's actually illegal for employers to ask um, their employees to do something when they're on paid family leave. And I've had friends in the D.C. area where there's now a state program who have had their email access shut off completely out of fear of a lawsuit of that. Um, and so I don't think that these programs are actually going to end up helping in any way. But then you actually have the negative consequence moving back in time, I think, you know, pre-COVID and having more rigidity. Rachel Gresler is a research fellow at the Heritage Foundation. We spoke earlier this week. Subscribe to the Cato Daily Podcast wherever you please and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast. <laughs>